0: I'm Olivia Lynch, one of the hosts of the All Things Protest podcast. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Michael Samuels. We're going to address two recent and interesting decisions regarding small business issues. First, we're going to cover an August 2021 decision from the Small Business Administration's Office of Hearings and Appeals regarding the ostensible subcontractor rule. This decision is by the appeal of Telasis Corporation, SBA number SIZ-6113. Briefly, the ostensible subcontractor rule concerns whether a small business prime contractor is affiliated with its proposed subcontractor for size determination purposes. It is a type of affiliation and, in fact, the only affiliation test that is procurement-specific. There's two relevant tests. First, whether the prime is performing the primary and vital requirements of the contract, and second, whether the small business prime is unusually reliant upon its subcontractor using a four-factor analysis developed by OHA. OHA's general rule of thumb is that when all four factors are present, the proposed subcontractor is likely to be deemed an ostensible subcontractor if the sub is proposed to perform 40% or more of the contract.
1: In this case, the Area Office issued the initial size determination, finding that the small business awardee will self-perform the primary and vital requirements of the order under the Army's RS3 IDIQ. But The area office found that all four unusual reliance factors were present to at least some degree and the subcontractor would perform 40% or more of the order. Therefore, the area office found that the prime was unusually reliant on its subcontractor and was not small for purposes of the protested order.
0: The awardee here appealed and OHA overturned the area office's determination that it violated the offensible subcontractor rule. Michael and I are going to walk through OHA's analysis of each of the four factors. The first factor is whether the proposed subcontractor is the incumbent contractor but ineligible to compete for the procurement because it's a set-aside. All parties conceded that the sub here was the current incumbent and could not have submitted a proposal as a prime, but OHA emphasized that this factor alone is insufficient for a sensible subcontractor finding.
1: The second factor focuses on whether the prime contractor plans to hire the large majority of its workforce from the subcontractor. Here, OHA determined that the prime would hire less than half of its personnel from its sub in both non-surge and surge scenarios. In determining that the prime plans to hire the majority of the workforce from the subcontractor, the area office erred by calculating the percentage of the team's total workforce that would be connected in some manner to the sub, either as new employees of the prime or remaining employees of the sub. But that is not the correct metric.
0: So the third factor focuses on the prime contractor's proposed management Um, and whether the the proposed management previously served with the subcontractor on the incumbent contract. OHA found flaws in the area office's analysis here as well. While the prime did propose to hire the program manager currently performing on the sub's incumbent contract as its own program manager, its proposal made clear that the prime's executives would be actively involved in managing the task order and would retain ultimate control over decision-making
1: fourth factor examined that the prime contractor lacked relevant experience and had to rely on its more experienced subcontractor to win the contract. OHA also had concerns about the area office's analysis under this factor, concluding that the prime had to rely on its subcontractor to demonstrate prior experience where the information from the contracting officer for the order was not entirely clear that that was in fact the case. Interestingly here, OHA focused on the proposal page limits, saying it wouldn't be reasonable to assume that a prime has no relevant experience beyond the one example provided in its proposal, where the page limits were particularly restrictive. Additionally, OHA found there was no indication the sub would perform 40% or more of the order. For all of these reasons, OHA reversed the area office size determination.
0: So whenever you have a team bidding on a set-aside where the current incumbent is one of the proposed subcontractors, you should always be considering the possibility that the way you propose to form may give rise to a determination that the prime is unusually reliant on the sub. This case provides helpful guidance as to how SBA's OHA considers these factors, which can help teams avoid pitfalls in the future.
1: So next, we're going to talk about uh, GAO's decision in InfoPoint LLC, which is B number four one nine eight five six. And in that case, GAO sustained a protest challenging a solicitation requirement that a joint venture competing for an award as opposed to the individual members of the joint venture needed to hold the top secret facility clearance because the requirement in the solicitation is prohibited by the fiscal year 2020 National Defense Authorization Act as well as by SBA regulation at 13 CFR 121.103. GAO ruled that the 2020 NDAA clearly and unambiguously prohibited DOD agencies, like the Air Force in this case, from issuing solicitations that require a joint venture rather than the members of the joint venture hold the required facility clearance.
0: So the underlying statutory and regulatory framework for GAO's decision comes from three different places. Um, First, you've got section 644 of the Small Business Act, which provides that when evaluating an offer of a joint venture of a small business concern, if the joint venture does not demonstrate sufficient capabilities itself to be considered for award of a contract, that the head of the agency shall consider the capabilities of each of the members of the joint venture. Second, you've got Section 1629 of the 2020 NDAA, which directly addresses the requirement for joint venture facility clearances, providing that a clearance for access to a DOD installation or facility May not be required for a joint venture if that joint venture is comprised entirely of entities that are currently cleared for access to such installation or facility. And finally, you've got 13 CFR 121.103H4, where SBA has implemented these requirements, providing that a joint venture may be awarded a contract requiring a facility security clearance for either the joint venture itself or the individual partners to the joint venture that will perform the necessary security work have a facility security clearance.
1: So here, InfoPoint is a small business unpopulated mentor-protege joint venture where both members possess the requisite security clearance. InfoPoint challenged the fair opportunity proposal requests issued under the OASIS small business pool, which required that offerors shall possess or acquire a facility clearance equal to the requirement on the DD-254 by the proposal due date. The Air Force argued that none of the statutory or regulatory provisions cited by the Protester or Small Business Administration prohibited this clearance requirement, and that DOD's regulations concerning security clearances should take precedent over any regulations issued by SBA. The Air Force advanced four main defenses, but GAO rejected each one of them. DOD contended that the 2020 NDA was not effective until implementing regulations were in place, but GAO found that the 2020 NDA provision did not direct DOD to issue regulations or otherwise take any action to implement the revision and found the NDA effective upon enactment. Second, GAO disagreed with DOD that the language of 121, 103, H4, that a joint venture may be awarded a contract, gave DOD discretion to choose whether the joint venture itself or the individual members were required to hold the required facility clearances. Instead, finding that this language defines the eligibility of joint ventures to receive awards where the joint venture members hold the required facility clearance.
0: GAO also found that DOD was not entitled to deference on this issue because DOD had not issued regulations interpreting the 2020 NDAA. So there was nothing to which GAO could defer even if it found that deference was appropriate. Finally, GAO found that the DOD regulations that DOD cited as conflicting were unavailing because to the extent that there was a conflict, the plain language of the NDAA would control. So GAO ultimately agreed that the solicitation should be amended to permit joint ventures to be eligible for award where they are comprised of members that each hold the required facility clearance, like point.
1: GAO also noted that while this pre-award protest was in the context of a small business set aside procurement for a task order, the 2020 NDAA does not on its face limit the application of this rule to small business joint ventures. It remains to be seen if other than small joint ventures may also attempt to rely on this provision to challenge a requirement that a joint venture itself hold a facility clearance. Going forward, contractors should keep in mind that DOD agencies are not permitted to utilize solicitation requirements that a small business joint venture itself must hold a facility clearance rather than the individual members. We will keep an eye on this
0: in the coming months. This has been the All Things Protest podcast. As always, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.